welcome to another episode of the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. It's a new year and a new decade, so we thought we would change things up over here. Today is actually going to be our first two-on-one podcast, basically means two members from the Bowery team and one guest. We also actually never introduce ourselves, so to put a name with the voice, I'm Jess Benito, Director of Talent... And I'm Evan McElwain, Director of Growth, and together Jess and I make up the acceleration team at Bowery, and we work directly with our founders that we invest in um, to help them with their go-to-market, growth, and talent strategies. So today's guest is the founder and CEO of Big Panda, Asaf Resnick. Welcome to the show, Asaf. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, so before we get started, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, can you give us a little bit of history on what you've been up to in your career? Uh, sure. I uh, started Big Panda together with my co-founder in 2012. Uh, before that, I was an investor at a venture capital firm called Sequoia Capital uh, out in Israel. Uh, did that for about six years, uh, invested across multiple industries from enterprise uh, software to hardware, internet, mobile, really across sectors. Uh, Before that, I was an investor, or or rather an analyst at Moody's Investor Service. Uh, And before that, I worked at various startups. Got it, very cool. before that, I went to college. (laughs) Yes. Um, and so tell us a little bit about Big Panda and why did you start the company? Sure. Uh, started the company, um, I was an investor at, at Sequoia and I'd noticed that there had been this real revolution in venture investing that had to do with this kind of democratization of the IT stack where, you know, back in the day, if you had two young entrepreneurs who had an idea and they wanted to bring their offering to market, you'd have to invest four or five, six million dollars because setting up their IT stack was slow and expensive. They'd have to go to Oracle and buy a bunch of stuff from there and then have to go to HP and then have to really set up their entire data center just to kind of validate, hey, does this technology that we're building solve a market pain? But then what happened was uh, cloud and SaaS and open source and it meant that the cost of bringing a young company to market went dramatically down, both in terms of money and time. And so that was a real kind of uh, revolution for venture investing, because suddenly, hey, two guys with an idea, you can seed them with half a million dollars, throw the spaghetti on the wall and see if it sticks. And if it does, let's invest more to really bring this offering to market and build a business infrastructure. Uh, But I noticed that uh, as our young companies turned into mature enterprises, that IT stack, which is so uh, nimble and cheap when you're small, becomes fragmented and unruly when you're large. Suddenly you have uh, multiple clouds, multiple generations of technologies, multiple tools, lots of moving parts, and it really overwhelms the ability of these IT engineers to keep track of it all when you're a large enterprise. So that's what kind of was the genesis of the idea. And what we do today is we're basically an automation platform for IT operations. So if you think of large enterprises or growing companies, 
they've got tons of moving parts in their IT environment. They've got multiple clouds and servers and storage and networks and applications and microservices and all of these things that have to work together really well in order for your customer to be able to consume whatever it is that you're selling uh, at a high level of consumer experience. Uh, and people just can't keep up with that scale and velocity and complexity. It's just too much. And so we come in with a platform that uses machine learning and AI to automate away a lot of that scale and complexity. Great. Um, thanks for that. So before we dive in more to Big Panda and the topic for today, which is mastering the complex enterprise IT sale, mm -hmm. one tradition that we have on the podcast is we always ask our guests, what is one thing that no one on this podcast will know about you? Uh, wow. I love to smoke cigars. <laughs> I'm a big cigar smoker. All right. I smoke too many cigars. That's my wife. Well, of our vices. Yes. yes. Um, great. Well, so... Let's dive into a little bit more about a big panda and, and your sales process and just sure. how you all have, have kind of mastered this, this complex enterprise IT scale sale yeah. um, as you've seen these changes happen in the space. So one thing I read online is that you all were in stealth mode for a while, um, sort of building the products, getting things up and running. So let's talk about your sales process when you were first starting out in those early days. Sure. What did that look like? What were some of those early learnings? It looked like a hot mess. Um, you know, when we first came out to market, um, we were not, we didn't have product market fit. And we weren't sure which segment in the market we were going towards. Uh, so we knew that, you know, the genesis of the company came from, as I said, hey, these young startups are growing into mature mid-market companies and then into enterprises. And we said, hey, why don't we uh, sell to everyone? <laughs> and why don't we do it via an inside sales motion? So we brought some um, you know, very experienced folks from inside sales. We were going after kind of both individual contributors and kind of directors and, and senior directors, kind of $20,000, $50,000 lands. Um, and we did that for about, I'd say, a year and a half. Okay. Uh, and so how many at this point? No real revenue yet. Is that right? Well, when we started, we had no revenue. Uh, I'd say 15 customers into it. I don't remember where we were. Maybe a million dollars in revenue. Okay. Um, it wasn't great. It was just okay. And, uh, you know, what today is very obvious and kind of duh at the time wasn't where, uh, you know, the nature of our value prop is that uh, the more noise you have, the more complexity you have, um, the more we can help you. And when we were selling to these mid-market companies, they just didn't have enough pain. And when we were selling to an individual team, there just wasn't enough pain. And, and so, you know, we look, 15 customers into it, we had this spectrum. On one end of the spectrum were a bunch of customers that were paying us ten, twenty thousand dollars average contract value, and on the other end of the spectrum were a handful of enterprises that were paying us a hundred thousand or one hundred and fifty thousand dollar average contract value. And I said, okay, well, you know, I like that cohort on the on the left side with all the money. Uh, what do those guys have in common? And what they had in common was that they were larger enterprises. 
that we were selling further up the food chain uh, to large uh, environments and, and, and uh, typically the senior director or VP. And they also had in common that we were leaving a lot of money, a lot of value on the table. The price point we were charging compared to the business value that we were generating uh, was not an equitable exchange. We could have uh, done much better. And you figured that out just through conversations with those cohorts as you were trying to dig in deeper and, and really figure out where that product market fit lives? Yeah, like everything else in my life, I figured it out the hard way through slow mistakes and <laughs> trial and error. But yeah, speaking with them, doing business value assessments, coming in you know, six months, one year after we're live and saying, hey, you know, we promised you all this stuff when we sold the, uh, the offering. What are we actually delivering? And it turns out that we were delivering more than we thought. Got it. Uh, we weren't doing a good job of um, helping our customer uncover that and helping them uh, internally market the decisions they've made. A lot of our customers, especially when we're small, we're you know, putting a lot of co political capital on the line to buy a product that's sitting in line to your operations, meaning if we're down, you're down. Uh, and we were an unknown commodity. We didn't have the reference customers we do today. We didn't have the $120 million in uh, capital raise that we do today. We were a no-name company. You know, uh, and so it was a big chance. Um, so that was a big aha moment that it said, hey, we need to go enterprise. Uh, and so we, that, that was a very kind of traumatic time for us. We switched out the go-to-market team almost entirely overnight from a inside sales go-to-market motion to an enterprise sales go-to-market motion, put folks actually... Uh, sales folks in the field, and that was an immediate success. Uh, that that you know, same product, same market, same pain, just a switch in our sales go to more go to market motion, and everything fell into place. Really? Uh, you know, immediately, uh, our first big customer, we landed a, a you know one of the world's largest semiconductor companies, and they landed the mothership on us, and then. Uh, the next uh, customer was one of the world's largest uh, human capital management um, uh, SaaS companies, and they just landed the mothership on us. And, you know, at the first year was one quarter after another, one big land. It was almost too much because, you know, we had been, the, the core offering uh, was the same, but suddenly you have these Fortune 500 enterprises and they want, you know, these annoying things like scalability and reliability and availability and security and all this stuff. And so we spent, and these are nice problems to have. So we spent a good year really doing enterprise hardening uh, while at the same time selling. Uh, and then from there, it was really off to the races. And when it came to hardening of the product for enterprise companies, yeah. as you're going through that shift, was there, was there a balance there of getting customer requests to, for doing very specific dev builds maybe for one client that didn't match up with the other things that you were doing or did you did, always yeah you know always um i'd say from an r&d perspective you know you have only so many resources and when you are a startup you have to focus on the right things and so from an r&d perspective we were really torn 
in kind of three different directions. One is uh, enterprise hardening, uh, which doesn't happen for free. It takes a lot of resources around availability and security and, and, and so on. Um, two is customer requests, because these are large enterprises that are oftentimes using unique snowflakes and they want their unique things. And then three is innovation. Uh, and it's always tempting to over to overcorrect for innovation because developers want to do cool stuff. We want to do cool stuff. We want to continually innovate versus work on the same thing and harden it and scale it. But uh, that is the price of admission because we're, we're you know we, we are very mission critical in line applications. So if we're down, the cost of that, the pain of that to our customers is very high. And that's a lot of what we sell as well. It's not just the value prop, but hey it's safe to partner uh, with us. Yeah. Cool. And so coming back to our theme for today, mastering the complex enterprise IT sale, yeah. at what point did you think that things were starting to click and you had more of a command for the complex enterprise IT sale? Um, what changed about your sales process or your approach? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd say we're, it's it's always a work in progress. I, I don't think even today uh, I'd say that we're done because, uh, you know, there's different levels of scale. One is can can you sell this thing and get product market fit? You know, can, do, can you solve a pain for large enterprises that they're willing to give you a million dollars and really get into bed with you? That's one. Uh, Two is, um, can you build a, can you train other people to do it? You know, when it was me and my co-founder, that's kind of step one. Second is, can you, can you get some sales folks to go do it themselves and scale that thing? That's kind of sales two, step two. Step three is, can you build, you know, your initial team around that, get a leader to build kind of one platoon so it's a platoon leader and six folks and a handful of SEs out on the field doing this. And step th and I'd say step four, which is where we are now, is, okay, can you really expand that now uh, internationally, you know, across the United States into multiple platoons in Southeast, Northeast, Midwest, so on and so forth? And can you do it internationally? So that it's... You know, it's a multivariate problem around can you get the selling motion for a specific seller and a specific buyer and make that very regimented and uh, trackable and good qualification and all those things? And at the same time, can you build an actual machine uh, that is efficient and scalable and repeatable? Uh, and you really have to have an engineer's mindset to do that. So when we think about how you're all attacking that, right? Yeah. So building this machine, let's get a little bit more tactical here. So tell us a bit more about how you're selling into large, the large enterprise space today. So take us through that journey, who you're targeting, how you're targeting them and getting them into the top of the funnel, and then also how you're working on converting them throughout the sales process. Sure. Um, I mean, for us specifically, we sell into uh, IT operations teams. So we can sell either kind of middle up or top down. So it means uh, we can either go to a CIO and start the journey there and then get, uh, typically they'll pick a lieutenant, 
probably their uh, VP or SVP of IT operations and start the sales cycle there. Or we'll start middle up, which is pick someone who's kind of a senior director, owns a team or two, and has a specific pain that they want to solve. So that's, those are the personas that we sell to. Uh, then it's um, how do we actually generate demand? And now obviously, no surprise, that's a combination of marketing and sales. Uh, so marketing uh, is, is in charge of the air war per se, so you know, branding, uh, making sure there's awareness of Big Panda and the problem that we solve, uh, as well as generating you know, leads at, at the top of the funnel. And then obviously sales is in charge of the ground war, so it's gener- they, they do generate a lot of their own leads, especially because we are a very high ASP offering, so we can afford to do the research, get to know companies, get to know individuals of those companies, and really, you know, fish with a spear versus a net. Uh, and then it's, you know, it's a whole sale process around making sure that we have the right amount of leads. You know, we take pipeline generation very, very seriously, and making sure that we're converting those down the funnel in a very qualified, eyes wide open type of way. So, you know, it's always around, hey, we want to make sure that. In each step of the funnel, when you go from opportunity to POV and, and so forth, that we're not lying to ourselves and that we're making, doing the hard work to make sure that things are qualified like they should be. So we follow medic, which a lot of people do, uh, but it's very easy to just check those boxes without actually having a, uh, a, um, a cynical uh, perspective of, okay, you know, yes, they say they have a uh, budget. Well, you know, is, ask the next level of question. Do they have CapEx or do they have OpEx? And if it's OpEx, is it budgeted? And if not, what does that mean? Uh, do you have a champion? How do you know they're a champion? Have you tested your champion? And so being able to ask those critical questions all through the sales process is, uh, it's hard, it takes courage, to look at yourself uh, in the mirror and say, hey, this isn't as mature as I think it is, and we've got a problem. Uh, but that kind of self-introspection uh, is the job of managers uh, to be a mirror to reality to the reps. And so we try to do that very often. And so as part of Medic, the C, obviously, there stands for champion, as you mentioned. Let's, so when it comes to champions and, and going middle up, right, yeah. starting with that VP director level, getting their support, cultivating that champion, and then spreading that throughout the rest of the, their decision-making process. What are some of the things that you all do really well there in terms of cultivating those champions to help you push a complex sale um, with these high ASPs that you mentioned? I mean, it, it starts with aligning with business value. It starts with, uh, you know, we, we try to come in and not kind of spray and pray our message. We try to come in and really have a conversation where we're talking 20% of the time and the potential champions is talking 80% of the time and really trying to get them to open up about their business, open up about their pain and what they can do and then have an honest conversation around where we can align to business value. So, you know, the more they're, the more they're talking about what's going on in their business and the more we're trying to help them, the more they have a personal uh, gain to, to solve this problem uh, the better potential champion they are. Got it. And so let's stay on this 
the sales process theme for, for a little while longer. So for a complex enterprise IT sale, yeah. uh, like you all have, which stage of the sales process do you see pose the biggest challenge? And, and how does your team approach overcoming that and some of those obstacles? Um, whew. I mean, every stage is hard. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd say for me, the most critical stage, you know, for us, there's kind of the opportunity stage where, hey, we've identified a problem. We've identified that there's budget. This is a big deal. This enterprise needs to take care of it. And there's a potential champion. And then kind of the, um, the temptation is to jump straight from there into a POV. You know, we're large, we're large enterprise tech, so typically there's a, pr a proof of value. Um, the stage in the middle between opportunity and POV for us is what's called business value deep dive. Um, and, and for us, you know, we really want to slow down there before we enter a POV. We want to make sure that uh, we're not just proving that we can do some technical doohickey. We want to prove that in the POV that we're aligning to business value. That if we that we make sure that dirt, when we're setting up a POV, we want, to, we want to make sure that it's aligned, that it's not a bunch of technical guys on the client side working with our sales engineers trying to prove out can you do technical thing number one, two, and three, because that's not interesting to a CIO or to a CFO. What we want to prove in a POV is we can solve meaningful business pain that's associated to real budget. And so scoping that POV in a way that's aligned to business use cases and aligned to business pain is critical. It takes time. Uh, but if you're, if you're doing that hard work before you get into a POV, uh, you're much more successful to succeed. You're much more likely to succeed and you're much more likely to succeed in a, a, a selling price that is justified to the business value that you're, you're bringing. Again, so it's, it's aligning to business value, not aligning to technical value. Got it. And I guess I'm curious from a, a people and talent standpoint, um, talk to us a little bit about um, how the way that you hire and train your sales team has evolved over time, right? You went to you you went from um, removing your go-to-market sales team in the early days and um, have over time right um, brought in this enterprise team talk to us a little bit about maybe the difference from even the early days to now I think this would be helpful for some of our founders and listeners who are who are sure. tuning in um, and just kind of the difference there sure so I'd say the first thing um, that was a tough lesson for me was a lesson in humility where, um, you know, we got to a point that once it started becoming clear that we have product market fit, uh, that I wasn't doing a good job of finding the right leaders in sales because I didn't have enough of an understanding of what our sales motion needed to be. I didn't know what excellence looks like. I didn't know what our strategy should be. So I had a hard time finding excellence in a leader. Uh, and so I had to you know, really look myself in the mirror and say, hey buddy, you gotta get a lot smarter on this and fast. And so I made it my business to 
uh, speak with a lot of successful CROs and get to know the sales motion that in my gut made sense to me, surrounded myself with advisors and a board member uh, that were, you know, orders of magnitude better at sales and enterprise sales than I am or was. Uh, and then found a leader that really, you know, once I had formed an opinion about what I wanted, find it the best damn leader I could find uh, for that and then just let them run, uh, you know, and support them. Uh, but find someone, that, you know, get out of the way. And that, uh, that ultimately, when you're scaling as a CEO, your job is much less to execute on task number one, two, three, and four. It's around finding world-class talent that can do that better than you. Uh, and so that was number one. Uh, number two is, you know, it's not a simple answer because you're building a complex machine. And so it's, you know, we have account executives, we have sales engineers, we have post sales, we have SDRs. And it starts with trying to be clear on what is the profile for each of those positions. And that's an experiment. Uh, do you want someone who's very experienced, someone who knows the technology, someone who has a Rolodex? Do you want someone who's less experienced and is going to run the play like you want them to run the play? Uh, do you want someone with a channel background? Do you want someone who's new in territory It's going to be knocking a lot of doors? Uh, these are all things that we had to experiment with. Then there's also, okay, we know what the individual contributor level is. What is that first-line manager look like because a lot of the success of your sales efforts will you know succeed or fail on the quality of those first line managers what does that look like what does that look like for sales what does that look like for sales engineers and then as you start getting bigger and you have second line managers and third line managers you know what does each level what does excellence look like at each level of that food chain uh, what is the right ratio between managers how do you make sure you have enough span of control uh, and then versus having too much fat in the organization, and that's a fine line. So, you know, when I said before that we're never done baking, you know, as we're scaling, we're baking. Uh, Got it, very cool. Um, and so I guess along a similar vein, uh, talk to us a little bit about how you've seen the buying process evolve for purchasing complex software products at the enterprise level. What's different now versus a few years ago when where do you see it going? I mean, I can't say there's been a radical change in uh, buying patterns since we've been in the market for three and a half years. Um, I'm happy the economy's still doing well, so that's been good. I think that uh, CapEx, so I'd say, you know, we're a SaaS offering. We sell mostly OpEx. Uh, a lot of executives and obviously enterprises have a lot of uh, focus on making sure EBITDA margins are healthy, which means OPEX budget is always scarce. So there's a lot of CapEx out there. You know, ironically, as SaaS and cloud and all these OPEX model technologies are, are, are coming out, OPEX is tighter than it's ever been before versus CapEx. So that's definitely one factor. Uh, but for the most part, I, I think that the fundamentals of enterprise sales, of, make, of these complex sales cycles with multiple decision makers that have multiple agendas is as complex and hard and interesting as, and fun as it's ever been. Awesome. 
Um, and so any final thoughts or tips uh, for our listeners? You know, understand that you're always in experimental mode and that every stage you have to have, uh, you know, your enemy is hubris and arrogance. And when you think you figured it out, that's when you're in the most danger uh, because every stage in life will have its own learnings and you'd rather those learnings uh, become apparent early rather than late when it's very, very painful and, and traumatic to fix it. So, you know, be humble, understand that, you, you know, you still have a lot of lessons to learn and always be a little bit paranoid in terms of learning those messages, th those, those lessons. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Asaf, for coming on the show. It was really great to have you. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah.